Hello, and welcome to Life in Their Sandals. This is a podcast where we dive deep into the lives of biblical people to determine how we should live as Christians today. I'm your host, Chris McGrath, and today we get to study a narrative in the life of Jesus, which will be episode five of our The Life of Jesus series. We're today looking at Jesus, starting with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus went up into a mountain in Bethsaida near the Sea of Galilee, and he sat down with his disciples. The scripture says that the Passover feast was going to happen shortly, and in anticipation of this feast, a great company of Jewish people came to see Jesus in the mountain. Jesus saw the people coming to him and told Philip to buy bread, and Philip states that it would take several months' worth of wages to feed so many people. Andrew said in desperation that there's a lad who has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are these among so many? Jesus tells everyone to sit down, and the number is about 5,000 men, so it's likely that there could have been many more people when you include women and children. Jesus then takes the loaves, and he gives thanks, and he distributes the food to the disciples. The disciples then have the incredible opportunity of passing out the five loaves and two fishes that somehow never run out. In fact, there were 12 baskets full left over after the thousands had eaten. This causes the people who were fed to believe in Jesus. Jesus then sees that these people, after their belief, tried to take him by force to make him a king on earth. Jesus flees from these people into a mountain because they were desiring an earthly kingdom and not the spiritual kingdom that he was interested in bringing to Israel. The disciples now, without Jesus, decide at evening time to take a ship across the sea towards Capernaum. As the disciples are rowing in the boat towards their destination, a great wind starts to blow and the waves beat heavily against their ship. As they are rowing, terrified, Although many of them were uh, experienced fishermen, they saw Jesus walk out onto the waves. They heard Jesus lift up his voice and say, Peace be still, and the water immediately calmed. Jesus, through these last two miracles, feeding the 5,000 and calming the storm, proved to the disciples that he had the ability to provide for their every need and to keep them safe through any storm. On the other side of the sea, Jesus is received in faith at Gennesaret. Some of the people were still looking for Jesus on the other side of the sea when he was hiding from them in rocks, and they weren't able to find them, so then they decide to travel across the sea to Capernaum. Once they reach Capernaum, they ask Jesus why he had left them. And if you think about the narrative this way, it is very funny how Jesus, seemingly antisocial, was hiding from this group of people. The disciples leave, and they can tell that Jesus is not in the boat with them. And then Jesus, to escape the people, walks literally out onto the water, onto the boat. So the lengths that Jesus would go to escape these people, and now they found him at the other side. Jesus responds to their question of why he had left by saying that he knew that they only wanted to follow him for the loaves and for the fishes. Again, Jesus makes it clear that they were only interested in the earthly kingdom opportunity and not in the deeper meaning of Jesus' preaching and his miracles, and he wasn't interested in being a circus for them. Then they asked how they might work the works of God, and Jesus told them to simply believe in him. And then they asked for a sign to believe. And these same people who had just eaten to their full of five barley loaves and two fish that had somehow never ran out, 
were now asking Jesus to produce manna from heaven. Jesus clearly knew that this would be the response and is why he left them in the first place. And Jesus responds to them asking for a sign now by saying that he was the bread of life come down from heaven. He was their supernatural provision, not through just bread and fish, but through his blood and through his flesh that would be destroyed for humanity to save them from their sins. Jesus challenged these people to understand that the sacrifice of his life was the penultimate goal of his earthly ministry, by which the ultimate goal of reconciliation could be fulfilled. Jesus was not going to sit on an earthly throne like a Herod, and uh, he definitely wasn't going to open up a bakery, maybe like these people wanted. But Jesus was going to die for the sins of the world. His ministry was so much more valuable than what he was being sought after here in this moment. And that is exactly why he turned these people away. Jesus then, after this miraculous feeding, travels from Tyre to Sidon to Decapolis to Magadan. And after feeding a mass number of people again of 4,000, Jesus warns the disciples to watch out for the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He situates himself on the coast of Caesarea Philippi with the twelve disciples, and he asks them this important question, Who do men say that I am? All of the disciples have answers to indicate that Jesus was regarded as a prophet in Israel, or maybe as Jeremiah, or maybe as Isaiah. But then Jesus cuts to the chase, and he says, Who do you say that I am? Peter boldly speaks up and says, Thou art the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus answers in affirmative and blesses Peter. He tells Peter that he is the rock on which he is going to build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus says that he is going to give Peter the keys to the kingdom and that whatever Peter and presumably the other disciples bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever they loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus finishes this amazing statement by telling his disciples that at this time they should tell no man that he was the Christ. Then Jesus started explaining to his disciples that he would have to go to Jerusalem, that he would have to suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, the scribes, and that he would have to be killed, but that he would rise again on the third day. Peter's response to this no doubt was emboldened by his incredible last conversation with Jesus. And Peter actually takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him for his plan. Peter tells Jesus and perhaps even suggests that he would use force if necessary, that Jesus would not have to go through these things that he'd spoken. Jesus responds just as strongly as Peter. He rebukes Peter by declaring, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Jesus, in this moment, and Caesarea Philippi identifies in Peter the mindset of the kingdom of Satan. Instead of selflessness and sacrificial love, Peter would rather, in this moment, preserve Jesus in order to produce an earthly messianic kingdom. This is why Jesus rebuked him. This is an incredible combination of narratives in the life of Jesus Christ. So what are some of the takeaways that we can gather today? The first takeaway is this that Jesus can supply all of our need, and that he can protect us through any storm. But this is the catch. Although he can supply all of our need, are we seeking the right things? The people turned away from Jesus because they expected a physical kingdom, and they missed out, perhaps, on the great spiritual blessing that Jesus was trying to offer them. They just wanted the loaves and the fishes. And essentially, this is the same thing that Peter would later on 
described that he would want by telling Jesus to not go to Jerusalem to be killed. This leads us to our second takeaway, which is that even a follower as close to Jesus as Peter could be manipulated through his ambition for power and status by Satan, and that the good that Peter wanted to do, he found himself doing the things that Satan was trying to get him to do. If this could be true of Peter, then surely this could be true of many of us today. How often in Christianity is the zeal for the cause of Christ simply just a mask for selfish ambition? We say we want the kingdom of God, but do we just want the earthly blessings? Do we just want the streets of gold someday? Do we just want the mansion in the sky? Or do we want to have relationship with the Lord, whatever that might entail? The last and important takeaway from this narrative today is this. Jesus had all power and authority in his hands, and he told his disciples as much. But in this moment, he taught them that any earthly struggle for power was to be abandoned for the obedience of the cross. Jesus taught his disciples, although they were not realizing it yet, that the access to the real power and preservation of God's kingdom was found through sacrificial love and not contemporary earthly means. So what does that mean for our life today? The answer really is simple. The things that we often would envision for the kingdom of God, we have to take a step back and really examine. Is this building his kingdom or is this building my kingdom? Is this what the Lord wants or is this just what I want? We always have to be making sure that we are aligned with the will of God because if we're not praying to be aligned with the will of God, if we're just praying for blessing, if we're just praying for the manifestations of what we think the blessings of God in our life should be, then we should be careful because we might, like Peter, be aligning ourselves with something that is not the will of God and is totally contrary to it. So don't seek the loaves and fishes. Don't seek the material gain. Don't seek anything of that nature. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast today talking about the feeding of the masses and Peter's exclamation of who Christ was and then Jesus's quick rebuke. And I hope you'll catch it next time as we continue our series in the life of Jesus. I hope you tune in next week. We will be talking about someone who is very integral to the story of the Bible. And I know that you will enjoy it. Hope to see you next time. But in the meantime, be blessed. Have a great week.